You are listening to the official podcast of Oceans Church, a place to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference with Pastor Mark Francie. John chapter 8 says that you will know the truth and the truth will set you. And I actually believe this, that Jesus died on the cross so that we don't have to live addicted the rest of our lives. Broken, annoyed, disturbed, distraught, depressed. And uh, really the, the, the main focal reason of doing this this morning is because many people uh, don't realize this, but in our era, there's more suicide, there's more depression, there's more people addicted to either alcohol or pills than any other era in history. And I'm treading lightly because I know that everyone in the room knows somebody that has one of those issues going on in their lives. And I want you to know that Jesus loves not only those that are doing well, but he also loves those that are struggling. So if you're in either camp today, I believe this is going to be helpful. If you believe it, say amen. So we're going to go to uh, the book of Genesis. If you don't know where Genesis is at, we're going to pray at the end of the service. And uh, it's the first book in the Bible. And uh, is it okay to tell some jokes today? I have kids, so they might be dad jokes. Uh, But uh, I want to let you know that uh, we actually have some friends in town. My friend Philip and Tracy flew all the way here from Texas. I feel like all my friends are from Texas. And uh, it's good to have you guys here with us today. Welcome, guys. Great to have you with us. And uh, this morning, uh, we're going to start a new series called Free. And it's going to be a dual purpose because I believe two things are true. I believe that God wants you to be free, but I want to look at the life of Joseph because Joseph was a, a character in the Bible. I'm not talking about Jesus' earthly father. I'm talking that was a carpenter. I'm talking about the guy who's one of the sons of Jacob, who's one of the 12 sons of Jacob, the 11th son of Jacob, from his sweetheart, Rachel. Rachel and Jacob have two kids. One is uh, Joseph. The other is Benjamin. And what I love here is that he has a dream. Someone say dream. He has a dream. It's like Rapunzel right now. <laughs> I have a dream. Um, your dream stinks. No, uh, it's from a movie. We'll keep going. Uh, I have kids. Uh, but I know this, that God, God gave Joseph a dream. And I believe that all of us in this room have one thing in common, that when you come to know God, he has a dream for your life. Many people quit on life because they never discover God's dream. Or they discover his dream, but they don't know how to interpret the dream, like the butler and the baker. We live in a world that has dreams, but they have no one who knows how to interpret the dreams. And I believe that we're supposed to be like Joseph, that not only knows where dreams come from, but know how to actually help people interpret the dreams that God has given them. So we're going to find here in Genesis, uh, uh, basically chapter 38, or 37, all the way through chapter 50, with the exception of one chapter, it's all about the story of a guy named Joseph. So Joseph, we find here, has a dream when he's 17 years old, and he doesn't enter into the dream until he's about 30 years of age. And so there's a 13-year window that he goes through all of these things and ultimately ends up in prison until he becomes free. And the point I want to make this morning is, big idea, is that his dream began when he got free. Would you write that down today? Your dream begins when you get free. Before you get free, everything before freedom is preparation for freedom. Everything before freedom is preparation for freedom. And so I want to just read today 10 verses, actually 9 verses out of Genesis 37. And if you're taking notes today, uh, I want to talk to you about this idea of right turns. Right turns. R-I-G-H-T turns. Are you ready to go? Genesis 37, starting in verse 2. This is the history of Jacob. Uh, this is the history of Jacob. Joseph, who are we talking about? Someone say Joe. 
Joe, being 17 years of age, was feeding the flock of his brothers, uh, with his brothers. And the lad was one of the, with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report to his father about his brothers. Now, Israel, his dad, loved Joseph more than all of his children because he was the son of his old age. Also, he made him a Michael Jackson tunic of many colors. But when his brothers saw that his father loved him more than all of them, they, they hated him, and they could not speak nicely about him. Now, Joseph had a dream. Someone say dream. He had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. So he said, please hear this dream, which I have dreamed. There, there we were. We were this is awesome. Check out this dream. Guys, bring it in. We were binding sheaves in a field. And guess what? Behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And guess what? All of you guys in your sheaves stood around mine and bowed down to my sheaf. Now, we don't talk a lot about sheaves today. But I do. I love that you can kind of see the arrogance and the pride in this young 17-year-old. So his brothers said, indeed, shall you reign over us? Or indeed, shall you have dominion over us? So they hated this guy even more for his dreams and for his, someone say words. Very important. You can highlight that word. I once heard a preacher say, if your Bible's dirty, your life's probably clean. So you can write this down in your Bible. You have a clean Bible, you have a probably dirty, we'll keep going. Says this, plea here. So he goes on. He says, all right, they hated me more for his words. Then he dreamed still another dream and told it to his brothers and said, look, I have dreamed. Guess what, guys? I had one more dream. This time it was even better. The sun, the moon, and guess what? Even the 11 stars, they bowed down to me. So he told it to his fathers and his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream that you've had, son? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed uh, bow down to you before the earth? And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. I want to talk to you today on our, our first message in our free series on making right turns. Right turns. Let's, let's pray this morning and ask God to bless this time together. Lord, thank you that you love Oceans Church. Thank you that you're not angry at anyone in this room. Thank you that it's the goodness of God that leads us to where you are. So I ask you today, Lord, whether we're far from you or whether we're close, I know every week we have atheists and agnostics and people of different religious persuasions that are hanging out with us. And so, Lord, today I just pray that wherever they find themselves, that you would meet them where they are. I pray that you would lead us into where you are, and I pray we'd all leave saying the same thing, that God was in that place. We ask you to do something in us so you can do something through us. In Jesus' name, help the Lakers and the Dodgers. In Jesus' name, and someone said a good old-fashioned amen. Come on, amen. That's good preaching. It's good preaching. Have you noticed that there's a lot of roundabouts in Orange County? If you live in Ladera Ranch or you live in a, I live in Rancho Mission Viejo, uh, there's lots of roundabouts. And what I've discovered is, is I am the only one that knows about the procedure of roundabouts. The rest of the community is deceived. They don't know when to yield, when to accelerate. And uh, I just found it that I think that one of the worst parts of California, I'm being honest with you, it's not the housing prices, even though those are ridiculous. Uh, the worst part about California is the drivers. Can I get an amen? And uh, I think I'm convinced we have some of the worst drivers in the state. Part of the problem is, is everyone is in a hurry. I find myself at multiple stoplights, and if I don't have uh, top fuel racer re reflex speeds... I will get honked at within about a half a millisecond of the green light. Who's been there before? Who are those people in the room? Raise your hand. I want to pray for you right now. 
There are people that are just so profoundly impatient that if you don't accelerate when that thing turns green, I'm going to lay the horn on, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a one-finger wave. And I, I received both of those. And it's crazy. Roundabouts are nuts. Everyone's driving a million miles an hour. My wife and I are still acclimating to uh, the 100-mile-an-hour speed limits. <laughs> I, I thought it was 55. But there's apparently some way of coding that sign to getting 90, 95 out of that sign. I'm not complaining. Um, but it's interesting to me that everyone's in a hurry because everyone has places to get to. Can we all agree? We've got expenses, the houses to pay for, so we have a lot of jobs we have to do. We have a lot of work to accomplish because we, we have a lot of paychecks we have to collect. So everyone's in a hurry. We're, uh, we're strapped on time. We're strapped on energy. A lot of things going on. Life's going a million miles an hour. And the goal of pretty much every time we step into our vehicle is to get to our destination as fast as we can. Someone say as fast as we can. And I'm not sure if you heard this, but they actually discovered that Google Maps is actually a female. Did you hear this? Uh, they, they, they found this to be true because uh, they will actually, it's, it's got to be female, they say, because it'll give you recommendations of where you're going before you finish your sentence. Hello. <laughs> it's, it's a joke. It's kind of funny. Rochelle's like, I don't appreciate that joke at all. Um, but uh, you know what's funny is, is that, you know, Google tells you where you're going. And I love Google because it'll tell you our ways. They'll tell you that uh, you will arrive at your destination and they'll give you the amount of time. So every time I get in my vehicle, my goal is to prove ways wrong. Anybody else with me? 22 hours to Colorado? That's what you think. And uh, always been a hurry to beat what they project. I like to get to the destination. Who's with me? I'm a man, and so we don't stop for directions. Uh, we barely stop to go to the bathroom. And if you're going to eat any food on a road trip with me, it's going to be at the gas station. Come on. Because we've got to beat that, that time requirement. I love getting, getting there. Who likes to get there? And I, I found this, uh, you know, about, about two months ago, I was in my car and I was with my family, and uh, we had kind of one of those crazy, hectic days, and I'll never forget, I was on a mar, mar, Marguerite, is that how you pronounce it? Marguerite, I'm just learning the enunciation of the, of the roads. In Idaho, there's a city called Cuna, but you know if someone's from out of state, because they call it Cuna. So I just don't want to be that person in California. Marguerite is where I'm at. And uh, I was actually going the right way, headed to my destination, going the right speed. And I actually did the right thing. I actually looked over my shoulder before I merged. But I did it so quickly that I didn't realize there was a car in my blind spot. And uh, I actually merged. Not only did I look quickly, I actually merged too quickly. And I didn't realize there was a car in the other lane until the back portion of my vehicle tapped the bumper. And it did some damage in the back quarter panel of my car. And... Uh, the Lord started speaking to me like, God, I better get an illustration out of this because <laughs> this is an expensive mistake. <laughs> so here it is. is. I was thinking about this. I was going to the right place, traveling the right direction, but there was something in my blind spot. And because there was something in my blind spot, it actually caused me to come into an accident. And this accident delayed my journey. It delayed my journey. And I want you to know that God has a destination for all of you. In the Christian world, we call it a destiny. And destiny just comes from this idea that there's a destination. God doesn't make accidents. He doesn't make mistakes. Every one of you sucking oxygen in this room has a divine purpose for your life. And the beautiful thing about Jesus is, is there's no age requirements on the purpose of God. It doesn't matter if you're 13 or you're 40 or you're 80. While you're sucking air, God still has a plan for your life. Come on, if I can't get an amen, I'll take a head nod. Come on. 
I'm telling you that God has a plan and a destination for this season of your life. And what I've learned is, is like Joseph, oftentimes God will give us the big picture and he'll let the details kind of play out. So he's 17 years old. He has this dream about sheaves with, you don't know what those are. We'll talk about that some other week. And his sheaves is standing up tall and everything's bowing down to him. His brothers are bowing down to him. And then he sees the moon, the sun, and the stars bowing down to him. And he realizes at 17 that God is going to do something substantial and significant with his future. So he's excited about it. Man, I'm going to be great one day. And, and then he tells it to the wrong people. And this is what I've learned about Joseph is Joseph, he saw the right thing, but there was things that God had to do in him before he was ready to do something through him. And that's the idea of, of this free series is that God wants you to get free in your mind, in your heart, in your thinking before he can do some large scale items through your life. God will use you while you're under construction. Can I get a good amen? But I actually believe this, that mo most of our destiny is connected to letting God get us ready for what he has for us. 17 years, really? That long? I look over and over again in the Bible and from when God starts it, until it begins to materialize, there's always a season of preparation. For Joseph, it was 17 years before he, he encountered Pharaoh. It was, another, it was another seven years before his dreams started to come true. It was actually nine years. He was 39 years old when his dream actually happened. And his brothers bowed before him. He was 39 years old. He was 44 years old when the eyes of the world said, we will not make it unless Joseph feeds us. And God would actually bring a dream to pass in his life and get Joseph to his destination. But you know what I've learned about human beings? We're always convinced that we're ready before we're ready. Can we all agree? I think all of us agreed that we were ready to drive before we were ready to drive. You know what the goodness of God is? Is he knows that giving you the keys to the car before you know how to drive isn't a blessing. It's a curse. And I actually believe many people don't realize this, that God not answering some of your prayers is a blessing. Because getting something before you're ready to have it is actually a curse. Are you hearing me today? And that's why God will always work in you before he works through you. Can you imagine you start throwing a skyscraper up in downtown Los Angeles before you've established a firm, solid foundation? You're not doing the city a favor. You're setting the city up for failure. God is more interested in what's going on in you before he's interested in you doing something through you. Are you following me? That was great grammar right there. It was, it was proper. I want you to know today that Joseph has spent 17 years of preparation. You look at, uh, actually it was 13 years uh, for Joseph and then 17 years before it really started to materialize. 13 years for Paul he spent in the church in Antioch. After he became a Christian, he started preaching right away. But we don't know about any great exploits of Paul until about 13 years of learning in Antioch. We look at the story of David. David ran from Saul for 13 years. He was a fugitive. God was working on the character. Some of the greatest poetic statements in the book of Psalms were written during the 13 years of character development in the life of David. You look, at, you look at Abraham spent 25 years waiting on his word, on his promise to materialize in his life. You look at Moses. Moses spent 40 years, 40 years waiting for it to, to come to pass. 
And I just think over and over again, God will always have a season of doing something in you to get you ready to do something great through you. My own life, I didn't become a lead pastor overnight. I spent, I spent 15, 16 years learning from great pastors like Ken Wilde, Chris Wilde, Connie Wilde. I, I, I was mentored by some of the greatest human beings I've ever met. And my grandma, who was a missionary for her whole life, she actually got a 75-year pin in the Foursquare denomination. And she told me, she said, Mark, I believe every great pastor needs to sit under great pastors before they're ready to have their own ship. And I, want, I believe this with all my heart. There's always a season that God will work in your character. If you're taking notes today, you can write this down. Two greatest messages to the world is, is number one, Jesus is alive and loves you. That is the greatest message on earth. But once you understand the first message, the second one is almost equally important. God, number two, can renew your mind. God can renew your mind. Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The word renewing comes from a Greek word that's metamorpho. It's where we get metamorphosis. It's the idea of a caterpillar going into a cocoon and coming out a butterfly. God wants you to literally come into a cocoon of his presence and transform the way that you think, transform the way that you go from crawling to flying. Come on, can I get an amen? So Joseph goes through a 13-year cocoon. And I believe that his dream started when he got free. But the first thing that we see in Joseph's life is he goes through several tests. That's where I jump into the message today. Is, is the first major test that Joseph went through, but I believe that all of us have to go through before our dream begins to materialize in our life, is the first test is this pride test. Pride test. Now, if you're sucking air in the room, you're in the same boat I'm in. We're all in the same category. At some point or another, we've been arrogant or we've been proud. Pride is something that's not like for the exceptions in society. It's pretty much something that all of us are born into. We're all born selfish. We all think that the, what we have to share is the most important thing. Our favorite person to talk about is our pictures are only good if who looks good in them. <laughs> Prove my point right there. That's a good picture. Why is it a good picture? Because I look good. You ever seen someone post a picture of you in it and you look like you aren't right? And you're like, how could you pull? That's an awful picture. They're like, no, it's not. I look great. Why is it that it's a good picture if you look good and it's a bad picture if everybody else looks great, but you don't? I'm convinced that we are born into an arrogant mentality. And I believe the first thing that God will want to do inside of your life, if, if you want to inherit the destination, you want to get to where God wants you to go, is God does not let you inherit the full promise that he has for you until he works out this thing called pride. He's 17 years old. You remember, you remember being 17? Who remembers being 17? For some of you, it was a couple days ago. Some of you like 18, like that was a long time ago. I had the reach there. I had to get flexible to go back that memory. I was 17 a while back, but I remember being 17. You want to learn about being young is you are usually overly opinionated and you're underly knowledgeable. Isn't it funny that the moments that were the most uh, emphatic, it's usually the moments that were the least wise. The arrogant person brags about how much he knows. The wise person is grateful for what he doesn't know. And wisdom, I believe this, that wisdom is found in the man who's quick, slow to speak, and quick to listen. 
My pastor always said this. He said, Mark, God gave you two ears and one mouth because you're supposed to listen twice as much as you talk. And I believe some of you need to learn this today, that, that there's power in listening, not just in talking. It says that his brothers hated him because of his dreams and because of his, his words. Write this down. Pride always has to have a voice. How do you know if you're dealing with pride? Uh, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to someone that God, God has taken me through this journey. I'm still on this journey. I don't think you ever arrived, by the way. I don't think you ever read the Bible 14 or 15 or 20 times and go, you know what? All done. I think you are always perpetually under construction. And if you don't think you have a pride issue this morning, guess what? You have a pride issue. Are you hearing me today? It's a tricky thing, because if you think you're humble, you're probably not. Isn't it funny? It's like having bad breath. You're always the last one to know that you have it. And being humble is kind of one of those tricky things. If you think you're a humble person, you might not be a humble person. Because humility has this era about it that you're just like, you know what? I don't know. I just love God. And I believe this thoroughly, that, that Joseph had to pass this pride test. All, pride always has to have a voice. Prideful people are always thinking about what they're going to say while you're still talking. Because arrogant people, prideful people, think that what they have to offer is more important than what you're saying. And I believe this is fundamentally, if you're going to do what God wants you to do and be what God wants you to be, there is something that God honors about humility. I love this. It says in 1 Peter, it says in 5, chapter 5, 5 and 6, that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the what? To the humble. He says, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. I believe that God knew that Joseph would have became ruler at 18, 19. He would not have had the character needed to lead that great country into prosperity. God will always do it in you before he does something through you. So what do you find here with Joseph is that he has to pass this pride test. It's crazy. He's, he's, he's in this predicament that, that I've learned this. The root of pride is insecurity. Most arrogant people you'll ever meet are the most insecure people you'll ever meet. Because if you have pride in your soul, you have insecurity in your heart. Are you hearing me today? And many people, they're just so insecure. That's why they have to say, man, did you, did you see how good looking I am? Or did you see how awesome I was? Or did you see how amazing I did that? Or man, And they just always have to talk themselves up. Do you know why we err with pride? Because there's insecurity inside of us. What is the heavenly prescription for pride? I'm glad you asked that question. Great question, guys. The antidote for pride is knowing whose you are. Do you know that security comes from in the fact it's not how much money you have, it's not what you drive or where you live or who's your friends on social media. Your identity and your security comes from who you belong to. Do you know why I can get in the room? With, it doesn't matter how successful you are or how non-successful you are. How, if you're homeless or you live in the White House, if you get in an environment, you can walk into any space with confidence when you realize I'm not comparing my equity to your equity. I am a child of God. And my security comes from I don't have to talk myself up. God is going to talk me up. I don't know what it is, but people just don't realize that God will always make sure that there's, he gets rid of that pride inside of you before he uses you in a great way. Reinhard Bonnke, who's the, probably one of the greatest evangelists of our generation, he says, I'm a zero, but God's number one. And as long as I'm standing next to God, I'm a perfect 10. You guys catch that? Someone's like, I don't like math. It wasn't my point. 
God's one, I'm zero, when I'm standing next to him. Okay. I'm more of a visual learner. That was, break that down for you. I don't know what it is, but I, I'm convinced that we live in a, a generation because we're so obsessed with fame. Fame is rude. When, when you're, look, it's crazy. When, when we were growing up, people wanted to be firemen and doctors and teachers. Now you pull kids in elementary schools and they, and they ask them, what do you want to be when you're growing up? One of the number one responses is people say, I want to be famous. Kids want to be famous today. And I believe this all my heart that there's an insecurity because we get our, we get our identity from attention, not from who we are in Jesus. Your identity does not come from how good you do or don't do. One of the hardest things for me in pastoring pro athletes and college athletes is they associate their value with how they performed. So hard for athletes to understand God does not love you more when you perform well and love you less when you have an off day. Do you know that if the results was up to your efforts, then God would be very bipolar in his affection towards you? He's not. He's consistent. Do you know that God knows you the best and still loves you the most? And it's crazy because we think, well, God's listening to me today because I read my Bible and I went to church, and that's good. So God's like so happy with me, smiling. <laughs> but then I, I binged watch that, you know, that Stranger Things show, and he left the house, and he was upset. He's frowning. He's sharpening a lightning bolt as we speak, and he's looking for an opportunity to punish me. Do you know that God does not listen? The moment you believe in Jesus and say, God, would you come into my life? I acknowledge what Jesus did on the cross. Do you know, watch this, you cannot get any more right with God than you can the moment you believe in Jesus. Because God no longer sees your deeds, he sees Jesus' deeds. This is the idea, this is what makes Christianity different than any other world religion. Is we don't perform, are you saying that we shouldn't be godly? No, we should be godly. But we're not godly to get God's love. We're godly because we've already gotten his love. Are you hearing me today? You can get more godly, but you cannot get more righteous. All right. Come on, you're gonna give him a hand clap. You've got a good hand clap this morning. I love this. Is there's always this, this test of pride. Probably the number two most quoted scripture in the Bible. Number two most mis- quoted scripture in the Bible is found in Proverbs 16, verse 18. It says, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. What's everyone always say? Pride comes before the fall. It doesn't say that. It says, it says pride comes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. What's the number one most misquoted ver- verse in the Bible? It's, it's this verse in, uh, it's a verse that says in James that uh, the love of money, it says money is the root of all kinds of evil. People say that the money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's not, it's the love of money. But this verse is very misquoted because people say, man, it's pride that goes before the fall. Pride is always before destruction. Haughtiness is before the fall. In Joseph 17, he's got a big voice. He's got a mouth problem. His brothers hated him because he was a tattletale. And now, now he's in a situation that he tells his dad the dream, tells his brother the dream. You know what the difference between Joseph and Mary was? Is Joseph and Mary both got shown a dream at a young age. Probably almost the same age. Mary was probably 14 or 15 when Gabriel said, you're going to be a mom to Jesus. Has this great dream. Joseph's 17 when he sees his dream. You know what the difference was? Mary kept the dream in her heart. Joseph leaked the dream out of his mouth. 
Pride always has to have a voice. You ever told someone that you had two wisdom teeth pulled? And a person with pride had to tell you before you finish your story that they had four teeth pulled. You ever start telling a story and they're like, that ain't nothing. Who's ever got a, that ain't nothing. Man, I got in this awful car accident. They're like, man, that doesn't sound like anything at all. Let me tell you about a real car accident. I was in a coma. I broke 47 bones in my body. They had to cut the car open with the jaws of life. Your accident, it wasn't nothing compared to my accident. Pride always has to have a voice. And the Bible says God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. It says in Proverbs 11, 2, that when pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. Wisdom will always travel with humility. Proverbs 27, 2 says, let another man praise you and not your own mouth. Let a stranger and not your own lips. It's funny to me with social media how people use it to brag about themselves. Like, I see preachers do this all the time. They'll, like, preach. They'll, like, repost when someone's, like, phenomenal message, so-and-so, pastor, so-and-so. And then the, the pastor will repost it. It's like high-fiving yourself in public. It's good preaching, Mark. The Bible says, let someone else praise you, not your own lips. I'm telling you right now, I think part of the reason why many people aren't getting to where God wants them to go is because they don't pass this first journey test of God, make me humble. I love it because it, uh, it says in Deuteronomy or Numbers, it says that Moses was the most humble man on the earth. You know why God trusted Moses with so much? Because he was the most humble human being on the earth. The only thing that wasn't humble about Moses was that he wrote that verse about himself. It's a bit of a humble brag. Second thing that he had to go through, I'm almost finished, is, is he says this, uh, he goes through this pit test. This pit test. I want you to write this down. Pit, P-I-T, pit, happens. It happens sometimes. It does. He, uh, he finds himself in this pit, and uh, it's crazy because he's, he's 17 years old, his brothers hate him because of his pride, and they end up pushing him into this pit one day, and he's, again, he's, he's in a pit. It says that the pit had no water, and uh, there was no water in the pit, and there was, uh, it was empty. It was empty with no water. I believe some of you today, you describe your life as a, you're in a pit right now. You're in an empty space, and you're in a space that there's no water. If you live in a place that's empty with no water long enough, you will die. And I believe some of you today, you're in a pit. And people always say, well, Mark, did, did, does God make bad things happen to us? I don't think he does. I think God allows things to happen to us because ultimately it's what we go through that makes us ready for what he has for us. That's why James says, count all the joy when you fall into various trials, knowing the testing of your faith produces patience. I believe there's something about going through hard difficulties, pits, that actually prepare us for the great things he has in the future. Can I let you know the goal of a pit is not to stay in the pit. The goal of every pit is the same. It's to call out to God. I believe that the greatest opportunities in life to get to know God is when you're going through an empty, waterless place. Because those seasons of your life, doesn't matter how much you have or you don't have, doesn't matter how many people you, you have in your corner, doesn't matter if your wife's a model, your husband's a, a phenomenal businessman, when you're in an empty waterless predicament, I'm telling you right now, the only thing that you realize that will satisfy you is the presence of God. So Joseph begins to cry out. In pits, you'll always do a lot of soul searching. 
You'll, and I, I believe probably, I don't know, this is crazy. It says that his brother started eating a meal when he was in the pit. And they're discussing, should we kill him? And then his brother pipes up, and Judah's like, well, let's sell him. If we're going to kill him, let's at least make some money off of him. So they see this traitor coming through, and they're like, let's just sell him into slavery. So they end up talking about him. He's in this pit. Now, here's what I know about pits. There's two, two reasons why all of us end up in empty, waterless circumstances. Number one, it's self-inflicted. Meaning that we made a bad decision, we opened up a door, and again, this might be a pride test if we can't take ownership sometimes. I even believe that Joseph probably after an hour or two goes, man, I was, I was an idiot. I was braggadocious, I was flaunting my Michael Jackson jacket, I was, I was talking about how God, how God loved me more than all of them, and I'm just, I'm just, I had a big, I should have just kept my mouth shut. I believe it's really good when you find yourself in a bad, empty situation to do a personal inventory and say, God, did I do something? I'm not saying that's always the answer. Sometimes it's an outside force. Sometimes you were pushed into the pit by an economy or by a business partner that went rogue or by a, by a, by a divorce or something evil that happened in your life. It's not always because of you, but sometimes it is. I think it's a powerful verse in Proverbs 19. Solomon writes in verse 3 that, that people ruin their lives by their own foolishness and then they get angry at the Lord. Does that describe a lot of atheists? is they make a lot of crazy bad decisions and do whatever they want, whenever they want, with whoever they want, and they end up angry and empty, and then they're like, you know whose problem this is? This is God's fault. I want you to know that pits are always to get you closer to God. God will always use an empty circumstance of your life to get you closer to who he is. I believe that some pits are self-inflicted and others are a result of injustice. Stacy could come up, I'm almost finished today is that the purpose of pits are always to get us back to God. It's when we cry out to God that he brings us out of the pit. C.S. Lewis wrote that God whispers to us in our pleasures, but he shouts to us in our pain. And I'm telling you right now that you'll learn a lot more in life through the difficult seasons than sometimes the seasons of celebration. I always tell people that I'm pastoring, I've learned way more through correction than I have through praise. Can I get honest? Amen. And someone in here, because we all love that, we love, we, love uh, we love adoration, we love pats on the back, we love encouragement. But I'll let you know right now that God loves you so much that he'll actually use circumstances to correct the way that you think. He'll allow, man, maybe an maybe a empty circumstance, a disappointment. Man, why didn't that happen? Why is this empty thing in my life? And I believe if you'll let God, he'll turn the pit actually into the springboard that launches your dream. I read the story of a guy, he was, was in the middle, I think, of World War II. can't remember the story exactly. Should have studied this. Should have remembered I was talking to all you guys today. But all they had in this town was like this particular vegetable, a spicy vegetable. And it's all he had. It was the middle of the, the, the Great Depression. And he had nothing to do. And he's like, man, what, what do I have? And the only thing that he had was this particular spice in his, in his little town. It was like Louisiana or somewhere in the south. And during World War II, all he did is he's like, man, he looked around, he's like, God, would you please take care of us? We have no food, we have no, we have no sustenance, we have no way to provide for our family. And, and he just kept looking around, and he was angry at God. He was mad. I, I'm a, I, I believe in you, I've been faithful to you, and I have nothing to provide for my family with. So angry at God. And eventually he said, God, what do I have? What did you give me? And you know what he had? He had an abundance of this particular spice or vegetable. So he found out a way to make hot sauce out of it. 
it would go on to become this brand that you and I are a little bit familiar with called Tabasco. His family became multi-millionaires. And what he did is he discovered that, it, that he had in his life what God already put something in his life to take care of him. But it wasn't until he was in this pit situation that he goes, God, are you, are you a real? Are you alive? Do you care? That he started crying out that God says, yeah, I'll take care of you. And you don't know it yet, but all that stuff growing in your backyard is what I'm going to take care of your future with. And I believe many people in this room don't realize it, that God, the, the favor and the blessing of God in your life is within your reach right now. And God will use a pit to get your heart in the right place. I was, I was 25 years old, and when I was 18, God gave me visions of stadiums full of people. Solemn. They're as real as you were on the front row. I saw stadiums of young people and old people alike, full of people, but it wasn't for a sporting event. But there was more electricity and faith in the room. And I saw people in these stadiums, literally, like I saw like the presence of God hovering over the stadium and people crying out to him, running to the altars. I saw people getting out of wheelchairs, walking. I saw, I saw ambulance driving onto baseball fields with, with dilapidated bodies from hospitals of sick people that doctors couldn't do anything for and getting healed in these meetings. I saw it. It was as real as you were. And I'm like, God, okay, I'm going to do great things for you. And I saw myself traveling to different nations. I was 18. So I started telling some of my, my Bible college buddies, I'm going to preach to nations one day. So I get married. Married in probably the best family you can marry into if you want to do that. Give myself some good chances. And we started pastoring, and we started seeing a little bit of God doing great things in Idaho. And about three years into God doing great things, I'm about 24, 25 years old, and I get so mad one day, I'm like, Rochelle, God showed me nations, and I haven't left our zip code yet. Doing great things. Why, when's God going to give me an opportunity to travel and be a revivalist and bless, bless different places and nations and lead the masses to Jesus? And I'm just crying out, and I'm talking to Rochelle, and I'm so grateful that I married a girl that's more spiritually minded than I am. My wife and her sovereignty, she goes, Mark, God knows where to find you when you're ready. I was like, thanks, devil. So angry. How many just want your wife to just have a pity party with you sometimes? She wasn't having it. She said that God knows where to find you when you're, when you're ready. So I remember taking a shower. Forgive me for the details. But I'm in the shower, and I just start talking to God, and I heard the Holy Spirit. I'm talking to my like, God. Why hasn't the, I haven't got one speaking request. I haven't, haven't gone anywhere. The only people that know my name is like the 150 junior high and high school kids. I want to be great for you. And it was almost like God, as a good father, just sitting there like kind of just waiting for me to get all my stupidity out. And I heard the Holy Spirit say, Mark, if no one ever knows your name, Mark, if the only people that you make a difference in their life are the junior high boys that you're pouring into on Sunday mornings right now. Kenrick Barkell, Josiah Ness, Joel Faust, Dan Dunson. If the only people that will ever be impacted by you are those that are in this church in Idaho. And if all you do is serve your brother-in-law, Chris Wild, as a staff pastor and help his dream come true. And if you never leave Idaho and you never do anything great, he said this to me, Mark, Will you still serve me with all of your heart? And I want you to know this. It, it literally cut me to my heart. And, and I had this moment that I said, God, I didn't become a Christian to become famous. 
I didn't become a Christian because I want to do something great for you. I started believing in you because of how good you were to me. So I told God in that holy moment, I said, God, if all I ever do is love 10 kids in Idaho, I'll serve you the rest of my life. Begin to cry. I got out, again, forgive me for the details. I still have my towel on. That's just, come on, give me a time, timetable here. Sat down on my bed. I had a Blackberry curve. Come on. Dates the story. And I got my Blackberry curve out, and I had this brand new app called Twitter. And it was crazy. I opened up Twitter, and uh, I, I, my wife downloaded it for me. I didn't know how to use it. And it had an inbox. I had my towel on still. Just got out of the shower. Just still, eyes are all watery still. I click on inbox, and there was a message from a pastor in Canada. And he said, Mark, I heard about what you're doing in Idaho. I would love to have you come speak at our conference. You know what's crazy? This pastor invited me 47 days before. But God waited until he did something to my character before he let my eyes see the opportunity. Pits are always designed to get your heart lined up with God. And if you're here today, I only went through two of these things. I'm going to take you every week through the lessons of Joseph until he got free. I believe you're here today and God has a destination to get you to. You're in a hurry, but you might have a blind spot called pride. Or you might have a blind spot called pit. Man, I just, I ran into this. I'm I'm, I'm slowed down because of this flat tire because I made contact with something I shouldn't have made contact with. I'm on the side of the road. Can I pray for you today and just let you know that God will get you there. But we got to let the pits of life and the pride. You know that, that one-third of the devil's attacks come from the lust of the flesh, through the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. One-third of overcoming darkness is saying, God, make me humble. Make me humble. And I want to pray this over Ocean's Church, that we would be a humble church, but we'd be a church that when pit happens, we don't run away from God, we run to him. When my life is on fire, I'm not angry at the fire department. I want them at my house. And the devil's tactics are, is when you're struggling with abuse, and you're struggling with alcoholism, or you're struggling with, with maybe a, with, with lies, or you're, you're still in a, a bad lifestyle, you're partying on Saturday night, the devil just says, stay home, you don't deserve, you don't belong in church. Friend, when your life is on fire, God is the only one that can extinguish it. And I think the worst thing you can do is isolate yourself when you're struggling. I'm going to talk about the next couple weeks how it's God's word and it's responding to his word that gets us to a free condition. Would you stand to your feet? I want to pray for you. Thanks for listening to the Oceans Church Podcast. For more information about Oceans Church, including gathering times, locations, and how you can give and support the community, check us out at www.theoceanschurch.com.